Welcome to Tactical Permaculture. I've worked on projects ranging from the poorest to richest clients, from inner cities to suburbs to farmlands to remote wilderness, from the eco-war front lines to celebrity backyards. In over 25 years of service to the earth and the community of life, I've learned that in the fight for sustainable survival, growing is half the battle. Go to tacticalpermaculture.com for more info. You gotta train for me Because I'm training for you We gotta love, love And revolution to do You better train for me You'll be training for you Episode 39, originally recorded in 2020. At some degree, and some... <laughs> honestly, at a pretty high degree, I was a respected consultant on emergency and disaster preparedness and permaculture design and I actually landed me and my partner at the time who were working together on on her property we landed a gig a pretty well-paid gig doing a, a permaculture preparedness survival um, makeover on Joan Rivers daughter's house uh, as part of their reality TV show uh, the episode was called The Big One, and it was from the Joan Knows Best reality TV show, Rest Her Soul, Rest in Peace. Dear Joan, you were an amazing, extremely important, wise elder matriarch of the entertainment industry, and uh, and very tantric in, in, in the the open humor and the the sexual liberation and just the independence uh and the the power that she exuded but it was an honor and blessing to have that that opportunity to work very closely with her for that just i think it was just like a day you know we, we planned it out they they had the they brought out the big steak truck and moved a bunch of our our chicken tractor and a, a pond and a little small pond container and I, I built like a mini herb spiral into a container garden so that we could do this faux build this little faux backyard survival permaculture garden setup and and the premise of the show was that uh what had happened was there was actually an earthquake um, that they, there was an earthquake in LA. It was, it was mild, but it was enough to feel it. It was enough for a few things to fall off the wall here and there. So um, I guess, the, I don't know if they actually captured footage of that during the reality show filming, uh, the just the day-to-day -day pace of um, the filming that they had done, or if they kind of, fudged it later to try to get a story out of it but the producers of the show after that real earthquake said wow we should actually do a, an episode or basically like a within every episode there's like 10 different subplots going on so they wanted to do a little current of a subplot of what what it would be like to have Joan Rivers and her daughter and her grandson be in this mode of having being shooken up and woken up to the need to be more prepared so they went through their drawers so they 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 took a bunch of footage of the family kind of going through a process of what it would look like to to get prepared kind of from 
from scratch or starting at square one and realizing I think they had a scene where they just showed that there was flashlights with no batteries and uh you know every just not real just kind of doing that 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 um intuitive inventory of how vulnerable you would be if you were stuck because of a natural disaster emergency whatever type of uh disruption of services is the simplest sort of macro way to look at it if how how long could you survive where you are at at home at work at school on the freeway um if if systems of support were cut off and critical services were cut off would you be able to render your own medical aid first aid rent uh provide your own food shelter water clothing and and everything else um so so they got the footage of them kind of going through the motions of seeing how unprepared they were, being motivated by that little tremor to get more prepared and to try to st- and figure out what the perce- the steps and the procedures would be to do that. So they went to a an amazing local um, survival equipment wholesaler and retailer, but basically they were uh, one of the. Uh, I mean, it was like uh, Disneyland for preppers. If you go into this place, I'm not going to mention it by name. You can watch the you can watch the the uh, the episode, but um, but they were good. They were uh, they were a company that they they supplied the first aid kits. They supplied the fire extinguishers, the fire escape ladders that you could hang out your window. They had you know tanks for water storage. They had uh, all kinds of tools, all kinds of camping gear, all kinds of I mean, I, I could just, I mean, I could go on forever. Their catalog was like porn, you know, for me. So um, so you go in there and you just wish you could buy everything and you just want to live there. <laughs> they have a, they, shit hits the fan, you know, if you're an employee at that place and you can't go anywhere because the roads are tore up or because there's a, you know, uh, any number of circumstances that would force you to want to stay put, you would be... You'd be wanting to have some guns, too, to defend it. So, unfortunately, yeah, there should have been a gun store right fucking next door. In fact, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll open a gun store right next door to the survival the survival warehouse emporium. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so the this was the interesting synchronicity. It was that um, since I had been for about a year on this land uh, with this woman who fell in love with her gardener which was this romance novel that we lived out together on this land that's another story i've probably mentioned it a few times but uh it is very very glorious one of the peaks of of a of a i don't know if i was a young man i was the peak of a man's life man's love life um beautiful romance crashed and burned um in a very um how would I say? Uh, well, it's it's very it's very archetypal and mythical the way the whole the arc of that whole relationship. But I set foot on her property to help her establish permaculture permaculture installations on the property uh, as as she had dreamed of and 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 actually started to pin and sketch out herself years ago, um, but just didn't have the the appropriately trained and appropriately motivated. Um, 
prepper permaculturists such as myself. So there was an opportunity that she put out there to to the community of, uh, I say, spiritual community of, of sorts, um, that she had this land and that she wanted to make it productive. And um, so I hit her up and I said, hey, this is what I'm trained to do. And, and I would be happy just to have a place to pitch a tent. This was literally the winter solstice of 2011 i believe was the event that was that where we met originally or something of that nature it was it was basically a lot of the 2012 heads were were commingling and uh for me it was this burst of energy to say wow if i could possibly be bugged out on some land where the ground is more solid from the earthquakes where you're higher in the mountains and you are tucked away into the woodlands and and there's less zombie pressure if you will you know you're more uh out amongst people who have more to lose and therefore less slightly less prone to criminality when shit hits the fan but uh yeah going from where i was (laughs) where i was at the time when i met her i had been doing an urban survival permaculture training center garden where i was living in this garden that i built on top of an asphalt parking lot in the corner of a giant punk warehouse venue artist loft compound and uh, really brought it to life and there's beautiful photos and footage of that and uh, that was a highlight of my my career to that point but I pretty much developed the outdoor off-grid rugged (laughs) lifestyle right there and that was in south central LA where if shit hits the fan, lights go out, it's just going to be Predator City and you're going to be, uh, it's just going to be ruled by gangs and not that it isn't already, uh, just there'll be less cops and more gang, more non-cop gang members as opposed to cop gang members, if you will. I, I tip my hat to, to LEOs, you know, when they do right, but uh, but yeah, in, in, that, in that environment, you could tell at the time of 2012 that I could that I could go and live out this romance novel experience on this land with this woman and I wasn't hitting on her you know I wasn't trying to scam on her sexually it just sort of happened that um you know I respected her I was was attracted to her she's you know significantly older than me almost 20 years older than me um but nonetheless a total bombshell and uh just loved the heck out of her and respected the heck out of her and we did beautiful things together uh but uh but her invitation to have somebody come i was like uh that that's me i will come and help you grow food i will restore this property just get me the fuck out of the urban zone the urban center i want to be away from the densely populated urban area as far as i can and it was a sweet spot because you're tucked away kind of in the woody the wooded mountains but you're also able to still like I could stay in my, I didn't have to quit my band. I could still do some um, urban employment stuff, but uh, but I was excited to just live on the land, focus on the land, put myself to work on a daily basis. First, building my little camp, doing the composting toilet, doing the um, my getting my sprouting operation going. That was my main source of uh, sustenance, the staple food of sprouted sproutables and so i kind of i actually i i think i still have the footage of it maybe it's it's kind of embarrassing i was trying to do like a little survival man thing survivor man thing documenting the the projects as they went along but i was just in this little corner of her property um and doing my thing and uh 
and then as I got my little my little mini camp established then I started to just make a masterpiece out of the land and established and sketched out the um, the zones for the different large-scale operations of compost and plantings and uh, different form, different crops further from the the main dwelling and then more of the kitchen garden right outside the front door that kind of thing and just hey this was my dream this is the dream that I had that I'd been cooped up literally in the urban gardening and survival projects so now I got to have this giant canvas so I was filled with love and light and at that time also very <laughs> the peak of virility you could say and so um yeah I don't know I guess I can't help getting into the romance I guess I just can't help it so you know I, I won't go too deep into it all but uh but there was a we had had this bit of a banter and uh it was quite charming and you know um it was very much the as you wish sweet wesley you know princess buttercup princess bride kind of thing cuz she's like a millionaires living on her own property that she owned in a house that she built with her with her ex-husband and uh and with their ill-fated marriage and and divorce like left her with the house all to herself and she was this uh very a shamanic priestess in her own right in many ways and uh that was part of my drawn being drawn there was the the ceremonial um opportunities happening there uh for healing and whatnot so um so like at one point she had already started to be developing feelings for me you know i had begun my tantric path and was resolute in being open and non-monogamous and not and basically really doing long trial periods and setting up agreements where we put leases on each other's bodies and say, you know, I'm not just going to grant you permanent lifelong access just because we kissed one time, you know, and, and we got the feels. It's going to be metered out and we're going to hold true to contracts of if we're going to be exclusive, it's going to be a trial period to see how that, how well that works. And you have to renew that by agreement at the end of it. So not that's not the most romantic <laughs> part of the fucking story i'm sorry that's my virgo um uh, living and learning hard lessons of getting trapped in toxic relationship situations but but there was a in a more romantic sense we had this banter we were we were um getting along famously and she was thrilled to see her property come to life and thrilled to be able to go out and clip fresh greens and got some chickens going and she was, so she was and she was a, a a crack chef she just loved to love to cook loved to entertain had all of the regal trimmings of her property to have lavish parties of uh i'd say holistically lavish parties it wasn't uh it wasn't avarice or decadence uh it was definitely frugal because she had kind of she's been public about this i mean i don't want to give too many details if, if you watch that hey we did the fucking tv show man so <laughs> we didn't i don't think we said our last names in there i will spare the last names but i will say okay she was uh she was healing i'll just put it that way she was in a cycle of healing to of, with some things that forced her to 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 stop working so she was really actually i mean for me to come in there at a time where she had so much liquid capital for so many decades of her professional career and I came in there and I'm this I just came out of the fucking 
South Central punk ghetto having figured out how to truly measure the the units of water and food and medicine and shelter in the most minimal amounts that you could comfortably live and live outside and be surrounded by the urban madness. I, I had just come out of that, uh, you know, that that sort of self-imposed ranger school, if you will. I mean, in some ways, very, very extreme and some and comparable to that. In some ways, I'm I'm really uh, uh, doing a disservice to the graduates of, of ranger school by saying that. But uh, but I wanted to put myself through that immersion experience. I had watched both uh, of the um, the colony. Uh, seasons, which I believe they both, so these were reality TV shows that came out, uh, I think 2010-ish, 2011 maybe, uh, but uh, they were basically like pretty sophisticated social experiments where they put strangers to each other, but they put a group of applicant volunteers who had various skill sets that were on point for doing urban survival um social experiments reality tv shows you could say um and and so they put a bunch of people together and if in a constructed scenario of a post outbreak quarantine of a lethal global pandemic virus and so they were basically put into a a survival theme park if you will where they they peppered in all these different um all these different tools and supplies and equipment and they had to ration food and they had to figure out how to purify water and do solar powered battery charging and, and set up the latrine and living quarters and defend the perimeter and go through all of these, all of these, um, uh, it was like a survival obstacle course that was staged out by the producers. And I thought, I think it was one of the most important television productions ever and uh and of course you know they hyped up the sexual drama and politics and and there was a lot of uh staging of things as as to be expected but i think it was it was overall done very well both seasons and uh really brought out the patriarchal douchebag domineering tyrannical asinine factor in one of the characters, which I don't, they probably played it up. I don't know, but my God, this guy played a really good fucking jerk. And uh, and it's important to study that dynamic of what happens when the male ego gets out of control in a survival situation. It becomes really toxic really fast. So another reason to fucking be a yogi. <laughs> that guy, if they had fucking had a yogi there and they got that guy chilled the fuck out, they would have all been happier. And there's so much to be said about that, but... um. But I was fresh off of that urban experience of survival training I put myself through. And having watched those colony episodes, I was like, or those colony seasons, I was like, fuck, I want to put myself through that that um, experience of deprivation and really like a full-time drill of of seeing, you know, how how far you can stretch certain things and... And I was on an extremely tight budget. I don't. I don't think. I mean, yeah. At that time, I was very, very, very poor financially, um, which was part of the drill. Really, it, it made it all work. But I also that. Yeah, that was that was where I was coming from. But where she she was brought down to my level, even though she owned property and owned her house. Every the cost of heating that fucking place, the the cost of piping in the water, the cost of 
driving in and out, the cost of family expenses she had and all that. It was like extremely, uh, extremely um, stress-inducing. And so for me to be able to come in there with these these uh, very sophisticated, simple and elegant techniques for living frugally like we started eating sprout soup every fucking night <laughs> and what I called feed at the time, which is not paleo and which I regret and my teeth regret that I was as ignorant as I was about the paleo diet at the time. But it was basically like my own trail mix, but it was filled with dried fruit and, and oatmeal. And I thought it was great that there was no added sugar, not really having a strong clue about how it all fucking boils down to sugar anyway and that just clings to your teeth and outcompetes the beneficial microbes in your in your on your gums and your teeth and ends up causing you know wreaking havoc in your in your for your dental health and uh and also tearing up your gut and all that stuff so so not the the sprouting of the grains and legumes was on point to the extent that a lot of the properties of dried unsprouted grains and legumes um i'm not gonna don't quote me on the science but it's mitigated by the sprouting process you're burning some of the sugars obviously for it to come to life and some of the chemicals of the defensive chemicals that were keeping it um, inedible while it was unsprouted i believe there is science around how those chemical the toxins get either just broken down or transformed or whatever but it's it's a it's healthier to eat sprouted grains and legumes than to not. I guess I can say that with with confidence. And so, <clears throat> so between fresh chicken eggs every morning and fresh greens and herbs coming out of the garden, and eventually fruits and some berries, uh, the eggs, the the greens, the the sproutables, I pretty much brought sustenance to her from my humble buckets of uh, Mylar bags and five-gallon <laughs> Homer buckets. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we were nur- I was nourishing her. I was providing for her. And at that time, it was like every day, it was like, farm boy, fetch me a, a bowl of sprouts, as you wish, you know. And uh, so eventually, you can imagine where that led. It led to a moment where two of her sort of priestess associates were commiserating with her about her being very distraught over her love life and uh and then then I come strolling by probably with like my arms flexed with buckets full of compost or carrying some heavy object who knows I'm kind of playing it up here but uh but they see this young you know bu- youngish buck kind of walk by them uh good day <laughs> good day ma'ams kind of thing and uh <laughs> and then I get I mean I'm kind of playing up the scene but the way she described it to me was essentially that you know when I when they saw me and they heard her talking about her woes they're like that's your man you know go get him like he's fucking right here at your doorstep what's what's you great what's wrong with you so so we had this she you know that's kind of how she told me that she opened up and she had feeling like yeah I'm starting to kind of crush out on you and uh and in that moment where we first started to kind of sit next to each other and be intimate, <clears throat> that's when I said, well, you know, I'm uh, I'm basically like a public resource. You know, I consider myself like a like a, a, a reference book at the library. You know, you have to share me. And um, 
but I'm open to, and, we, and it was very poetic. The first, the first communications around around how that was to be. It wasn't as cold and, and dry as I can make it seem sometimes. And uh, I was able to be very romantic and poetic. And at that time, I was also fully tantric, fully multi-orgasmic, and uh, was able to um, dance her all the way into the uh, the penthouse, <laughs> fucking so to speak. And and uh, we. Oh, you know, another thing she said is that I was, she said she did test me, though, because there was an opportunity to, to, uh, do, it was a pretty epic project that had to be done, and I, I, I knocked it out for her, um, and so that was, that was part of it, too, and also there was a moment that she said she fell in love with me, the moment that she saw me leading a group of other men to do this, um, restoration work on this, this ceremonial teepee that she had, and that she was sort of, watching from afar and uh and noticing the just sniffing out the alpha the alpha pheromones i guess you could say which i'd say i'm no you would have to uh i don't uh if 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 i am alpha by 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 chem by chemical makeup you would i'm pretty stealth about it because i'm i'm pretty uh pretty low key um with being competitive or with being aggro, uh, kind of worked through a lot of that stuff earlier in life. But, uh, but anyway, you know, she felt it for me and, uh, I felt it for her and I felt at the time that it would be cool and that she would be cool with it being, uh, open-ish or l- closed for certain durations to be renegotiated later. And then that, that sort of got, that kind of got, got, uh, eroded towards the end of that cycle of we called it a sacred contract for a period of months to see where we would go and see if we could be successful so we were successful she was extremely extremely business savvy and sales and marketing savvy and I had all these skills but I was kind of you know dilapidated and crusty <laughs> I hadn't uh, I'd worked in corporate environments but I hadn't really and I worked in the band uh, and worked I, I mean I'd been professional web designer I'd, worked plenty of worn plenty of hats in in um different career paths uh but she you know i was more of the inventor designer geeky nerdy kind of um not people person not happy-go-lucky uh extroverted salesy person and she was all of that and uh and our videos still exist online where you can see how charming she is i mean she could um, she could sell snow to Inuit folks, uh, as they say, but with a bit of a political correction there. Anyway, it was the peak of our romance and the peak of our success together. Her selling my wares and me enhancing and iterating on my wares. I was making sprouting kits and selling the sprouts, and we were one of the first, um, home businesses to legally register for the Cottage Food Act, which had come out uh, in a timely uh, manner thanks to some some beautiful activist work done uh, by different coalitions of people to try to make it legal to sell for, for for grandma to sell brownies at the cafe downstairs in her apartment building or whatever you know like that was illegal and uh, in 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 the state in the county etc. And that they, it's a college cottage food 
paradigm that exists in many other states. And so it was kind of a, seemed like kind of a bit of a trend, you know, to get that established. I think it's done well, but, uh, but we were one of the first ones to do that. So we were rocking, you know, we had permaculture, uh, permaculture workshops happening on the land. And I was in the process and I had successfully negotiated a, a sort of licensing deal, if you will, with a high ranking, legitimate permaculture mothership sort of um, officer in order for us to have a, a, a sort of um, canonically sanctioned permaculture design course on the land and um, with a novel approach to making it at your own pace. But we had meetups going, we had workshops going, we had other instructors coming in, we had people renting the land for, for weddings. In fact, I, I, we sold... 150, I believe, amaranth seedlings to a wedding um, production as wedding gifts to all of the attendees, which was, <laughs> I fucking can't, I can't, I can't imagine how prolific those very, very beautifully rampageous amaranth seeds have, have gotten out there, hopefully, hopefully all over the place. And um, amaranth is my spirit plant, by the way. But so I'm just kind of detailing some of the glorious um, achievements that we had, this romance novel come to life. And part of that was that we did outreach to, we started going to classes. In fact, I did my first aid CPR training class, uh, certification class at that survival uh, equipment uh, warehouse place. They had They had a whole schedule of classes there, so... Um, we we started going there together. We also did the CERT training together, the Community Emergency Response Team training together. Um, and we were doing our best to implement everything we could within our budget and kind of bootstrapping everything. But we were <laughs> we were getting into things like tactical permaculture. We wanted to do do uh, airsoft tactical training, airsoft weapons training, with my novel idea of of somehow creating seed pellets to be used in in the airsoft guns so that uh you would know by what was planted beneath your feet from the seed pellets where the kill zones were so you better like avoid the places where you see a lot of wildflowers growing because that's where everybody's getting shot with the airsoft but um and we had a a tactical a, a legitimate i mean one of the one of the top um tiers of tactical training marksmen professional trainers involved with the project and we had started to draft out what would be like the ultimate um kind of like laser tag permaculture experience of tactical airsoft training and and tactical permaculture and actually like growing learning how to grow edible tactical hedges and perimeter digging moats i mean just you could my mind was going crazy i mean this was like playing fort all over again imagining growing Growing uh, sugarcane and make doing like uh, Filipino stick fighting training with uh, with those, which wouldn't wouldn't technically be advised at full force. There's a certain um, a certain material, the rattan material that that is exclusively used for that. But uh, but you get the idea. Imagine having defending being that warrior defending your goddess temple community 
with your sugarcane staff, which you can nibble on <laughs> for like a little bit of uh, extra blood sugar if you need to uh, run or, or, or fight. So, you know, obviously just imagination running wild. But all this stuff was really real. It was happening. We were doing archery. Um, she was a badass martial artist herself and we had she had training gear there already so we would have like the kicking post in the middle of the room we get up and just like wail on it from time to time as needed to blow off steam so yeah talk about warrior goddess temple permaculture goddess temples the whole the whole nine yards um i think there's a lot of people who have beautiful memories of that time as well and uh and it was epic uh so we had started working with with that uh, a survival store, and because of that, and also together, one of our sex magic rituals yielded a mascot character for my brand, which had existed for years but didn't have a. It needed a. <laughs> I mean, she she basically busted my balls about how she's like, look, I want to sell your products and your teachings and your services to these upper echelon, um, extremely wealthy families here in this district basically and know all of her existing network of other kind of soccer moms you know uh, and uh and she's like but you got to drop this zombie stuff she we, we she advised on re-editing one of my my first survival manuals uh what i call basic preparedness and uh, i was talking about when the zombies come she's like you gotta you gotta you gotta uh you gotta modify that slogan <laughs> and uh she helped smooth out those ed- edges and make it marketable. So one of the I redesigned my business card, and and uh, and her handiwork of getting that business card out to people. Um, one of them was the owner of that, uh, or one of uh, basically the our business card. I think just was put up on one of the bulletin boards there at that survival uh, at survival warehouse, and and so when the so. Here's where it all ties together. When Joan Rivers' production crew started Googling for survival training, survival supplies, etc., they found that place. They went there, and when they asked them if they knew, if they did like home installations or home consulting, they said, I believe they just said no. But oh, here, didn't we get that business card from those people? Um, those nice, friendly, you know. Uh, <laughs> urban homesteader or some rural homesteader folks out there yonder that come and shop here and train here oh yeah so so they gave the production staff my business card or i should say at that time our business card and we got a call i remember like yesterday getting that call and uh, and I didn't even know who Joan Rivers was I think she may have answered the phone and she was like fucking um, she looked like she won the lottery and she looked uh, pretty pretty keyed up you know and she, I'm like I don't remember if I got the call and I said yeah they said somebody about Joan somebody I don't know and of course, she has a big place in my heart from uh, from Spaceballs, but I wouldn't have really, from childhood, like kept track of the name, and I and I hadn't been following her career since then. Um, but of course, to this my beloved, who is tw- almost twenty years older, that was she had a way more deep connection. A as a woman, B as an, an older woman, and it certainly 
you know, it didn't click for me, but it clicked very loudly for her. And so she was on point with like, hey, they want to pay us to do this thing on this show. And, uh, and I was like, okay, but I, I wasn't, um, there were some things that they were kind of pushing on that I thought were, were going to be poor representations. And of course, I just kind of freaked out because I'm like, oh, great, this is going to be an opportunity for them to make fun of us, for them to completely throw us under the bus, and for all of my professional colleagues to fucking tear me apart for fucking something up or saying something wrong so of course I was you know as confident as I was in many in many things at that time in that moment with that there was that was just a lot of pressure I mean anybody who does anything on camera feels that pressure of like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna have dandruff or mocos or eye boogers or uh you know have a Freudian slip or slip and fall or whatever like you know or but if you're representing something that's a highly doctrinaire and highly um kind of snobbish community which survivalists and preppers are you know always trying to one-up each other on their their preps and, and all that stuff and then you know permies permies can be pretty vicious uh, in terms of the political correctness of what type of compost to use or what where you got that material from or how many times you reuse the water versus you know it's like so there's all that ego bullshit and so but I, I'm already immersed in that but I figure oh my god if I'm gonna go on this you know it was cable tv show but it had a, you know it was enough of a enough of a media spot to feel like pressure to do things right and to at the very least if they were going to make a mock it up for for the show at the very least have it be the case that um even if it's obviously kind of faux at least there's nothing that is a huge violation of the principles of permaculture or the science of it and so um we mocked some things up we built a little mini set when we did it but um I was ultimately relatively comfortable. There was one thing that they did that I was really uncomfortable with, but uh, but I let it slide. Um, so I don't think I I will burn in hell for selling out on that on that matter. But uh, but most but for the most part, you know, the shoot went well. The chemistry was great. She even I mean, th this was how we lucked out was that when we did that show. Um, it was 50-50 in, in our minds, you know, certainly in my mind, like, oh, my God, are, are we going to be the laughing stock? Because if you if you are Joan Rivers' laughing stock and she's going to just bully you mercilessly with her her lines, um, that that could be traumatizing. You know, we'd have to have some thick skin to deal with that. And uh, and and I expected that was going to be the because we're the crazy wingnut survival freaks who want to like do this backyard makeover and uh, and so ultimately it worked out well it worked out in our favor because the arc of the butts of the joke if you will was that uh, I mean the whole series the whole show series was basically that Joan Rivers was had moved in with her daughter to drive her absolutely bonkers by trying to trying to um control her life and her motherhood and just drive her crazy with her 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 uh, inappropriate humor and all of her um divaness right and that was so that was like that was the premise of the whole reality tv show so the way that that worked in our favor miraculously was that joan was 
and this was authentic, I believe, too, because of the time we spent with her. Like, she got it. I mean, we were, I was talking about, you know, we, she asked us about her backgrounds. I said, yeah, I've been a survivalist since I lived on the street as a young teenager. You know, I saw some dark things out there, and I learned how to cover my ass, literally. And, you know, um, and then my partner, she grew up on a farm. She had experience with a very down-to-earth farmer um relatives and uh grew up around all of it and wanted to just live and 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 breathe in in that um the holistic less kitschy less uh she's a design you know she's a professional designer she she had an aesthetic for nature and for natural materials just because of the vibration of it because of that was her background so more of that rust. The word is rustic. You know that more rustic Americana, more rustic um, ran, uh, rancho kind of ranchera. I guess I don't know the right word at the time, but uh, but we clicked. You know on that on that level, and uh, and so Joan Joan Rivers even said, "You look good together," which Joan Rivers telling anyone they look good is like the most golden compliment you'll ever get. <laughs> so we took that to the bank, uh, at least spiritually, you know, having that, that, that uh, if you get that approval, I mean, what can't you do if you can impress Joan Rivers and visually and have her f- say that you look good together? That was a huge compliment. Although it was funny that one of her staff for, at first thought that I was my partner's son <laughs> and she had to be corrected on that. But uh, uh Oh, there were lots of funny moments, but, uh, and they have a whole day, oh, they have, they have quite a bit of footage from that, and they only used a few minutes of it in order to fit into that little subplot thing. Those, there was a, po- a poignant and, and on point few minutes, but basically the funny thing was that, so Joan was, Joan hires us to come and do this consultation and do this backyard makeover, and she is thrilled and gung ho to, have us essentially appear to be tearing up the lawn or bringing in things that are going to just replace the lawn. Ultimately, um, we're going to be growing vines all over the place. Uh, and we're going to, and we, we started building a chicken run and we brought chickens and we brought uh, a chicken tractor that I built. And, um, and, and we were going to turn the swimming pool into a, a living edible natural pond and fish farm. Um, and so, so so the great thing was that uh, Joan was totally on board with everything and totally stoked and gung ho. And then the antagonism, the tension that was created with her daughter being like, "Mom, you're crazy! What the fuck are you doing? You're not bringing chickens to my backyard. You're not putting fish in my pool." <laughs> and uh, it really struck a nerve. And you know, the lines that Joan said, I I couldn't have paid her a million trillion dollars to say about how you know when the shit hits the fan the neighbors are going to be lined up for my eggs and we're doing this we're going to be sustainable we're doing this for my grandson for the future generations we're getting back to the basics of what it means to i mean i'm i'm not direct quoting but it was powerful what she said and and you could feel it and it comes from a woman who is was old enough at the time to have some fucking clue about actual self-sufficiency and hard times you know so it was a meaningful experience a beautiful experience and here we are now years later 
eight years later, I'm no longer in that relationship. I'm no longer living and working on that property. I'm hoping that the stuff that I established, not not the Joan Rivers property, me and my partner at the time who did that gig, I can only hope since we parted ways in a pretty ugly meltdown that uh, caused ripples in, in, in many layers of communities and pretty much... You know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hope that we would be able to not necessarily rekindle, but certainly, um, yeah, reminisce on what was mostly good. I mean, it was pretty acute collapse at the very end after wild success in love and in business and uh, the sky being the limit. I mean, if what we did was good enough for Joan Rivers, even as a joke, that was a nice, um, you know, a demo reel to have that was a nice endorsement to have and we we did we went and hit up the city council people or, or it was like a a town council committee and we did a presentation for for a sort of emergency disaster preparedness committee within the the local city hall or whatever i can't remember now exactly what the what the parameters of that were but uh, yeah we did multiple presentations she did a presentation well we we did a presentation to her old employer and got like a a loan um to keep operations moving i mean it was as legit as it could get we sky was the limit we had a mascot we had a brand we were selling buckets of survival food sprouting kits and trainings and workshops and uh it's a damn shame and it all comes down to monog- monogopathic behavior she could not handle in the slightest, the notion of op- of following the letters of our agreement, which gave me freedom to be a healer. I mean, I told her I'm basically going to be a yoni worshiper and a yoni healer, and that's my path and training before we met. And you're going to have to come to terms with that. That, and that doesn't mean even that I'm having sex with anyone. That just means that I may be touching people, they may be touching me. But you know, that's where I really fine tuned my my deal with women looking at like well what what are the actual permanent irreversible risks to having an open relationship incurable stis incurable sexually transmitted infections really that's the only permanent way of affecting negatively adversely a primary partner that you have you will heal from a broken heart you will get over feeling like you've been upstaged or deprioritized if there's longevity and strength and security in a relationship like everything else that's emotional you you will heal from even if it seems so traumatic what you can't escape from is incurable stis and so for to me i say and that's my deal is like look what we have to design around is that one thing and we can have our, our our hearts open as wide as and our legs and our pants off <laughs> to the world of everyone else as long as we understand and acknowledge that you know how how much faith do we really place in just using condoms do we have boundaries around well what i like to call outer course well you can have outer course and if you don't, or dry sex or non-fluid bonded sex, there's ways to intelligently avoid the transmission of incurable STIs. And so really, in my mind, and I know this breaks some people's hearts, and there were times when I was not willing to willing to reciprocate this in my younger life, but by then I had realized the beauty and the 
the nourishment of a diverse sexual uh, and romantic and sensual um, cornucopia of lovers and and patients and clients for healing and friends and you know the idea that you would that you would sacrifice all of that to keep one person from losing their mind I mean it was a horrific meltdown of her feeling like she was losing me and losing control of me and it just all came ultimately you know whatever I take full responsibility for whatever I did that was um asinine or inappropriate or immature or uh, not of high moral character in the process of how this went down but basically for the you know for, we would still be friends we would still be together I would still be on that land I would still be taking care of those trees that I planted and you know all the life that I that my wizardry brought to that land I would still be stewarding that and I would still be in her words the man of the land and I'd, we would still be living happily ever after if only she would just ask the question or allow herself like I was showing her through my permitted actions what I needed to be happy and to be fulfilled and to do my dharma and to be explore the healing work that I needed to do and honestly it came down to one moment where things really shifted for me when I started to really branch out it wasn't because I was bored with her or sick of her or any of that. There was actually a video that was shot, which now on YouTube has like half a million views. And it was my experience of modeling for a camera to do tantric um, session work with a, with a total stranger to me in that day. But when I saw myself in that footage, I said, wow, you know, I'm not fucking vain at all. I have the least... Um, vanity about my appearance. I feel unphotogenic. I feel like I have like a um, permanent. I have, as, as Jack Spierko says, I have a face made for radio. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't. It's not just. It's not just like a, oh, I'm shy about it. It's like no, I really break the fucking lens from a lot of angles, and I know that, and I try to design my content with that in mind, but. Uh, and there's people who would argue otherwise, uh, and and I and I'm grateful for them. But for me, I'm like, no, that's not. It's not like, oh yeah, I need to be a star now. But when I saw when I saw the footage of that video, which at that point I just saw the the demeanor and the energy and the level of focus, and I felt like, yeah, this I aspired to be. Oh, I, mean, I was such a huge fan of Jean Claude Van Damme, and I loved his meditative controlled and metered and measured and self-contained manner and uh and that comes from spiritual practice and martial arts practice which i had been doing and, and a sexual practice and so you know the 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 sort of um the refined shiva healing energy it, you know you could see it just in the grace of my movements and that was what made me go okay if i can i may not be a 10 on the surface of like big muscles and perfect teeth and perfect smile and perfectly symmetrical facial features and short hair and fake tan or whatever it takes to be on you know to be in that um in that uh well that perfect 10 photogenic um a-list actor material thing like that didn't matter like i could consider myself a six 
on the surface and what was beneath the surface was resonating and emanating so so beautifully to my to my soul seeing the, my depiction doing the work like oh wow i can actually do this work and have it be very um compelling to me and i said well i got i really this really does confirm that this is my calling and i need to continue on that path and uh and remain open and remain available and uh cert- i mean i wasn't I've never cheated on anybody in that I have not had, uh, I, I have pre-negotiated or pre-communicated my intentions or my, um, I have basically ended one relationship before having sex with a person, whether we called that a relationship or not. Like, I guess it's, it's a, I'd say I've been emotionally, I've been emotion. I've cheated emotionally, if if you want to use that dirty word that I don't like at all I just think I've I've um I think a better word cuz what is cheating I'd say what what it is is that I've I've indulged myself in pleasures with other people emotionally that I did not communicate or invite my primary current partner to be a part of and for them to wonder about that was painful for them and I would say that still keep makes me not technically a cheater, but the, the technical cheater thing, no, I have not done that. I have not hooked up with someone and had sexual intercourse with them without having officially ended the previous relationship before that if it was monogamous. So I have that that uh, gold star, you know, on my shoulder or whatever of not being a cheater. Um, but there was no gray area for her at that point. She was not going to go by the original agreements that we had, even though I was not willing to renew the sacred contract. It was just an absolute meltdown. And, uh, and it was really sad because she could have had her cake and eat it too. If she would have been able to share, you know, tiny slices of that cake. And with the understanding that I would not be jeopardizing her health and that I could have the discipline Either not to use, either not to do anything that could involve transmission of of STIs, or to have barriers, or to have testing done, or there's just so many ways that you can um, navigate that one ultimate deal breaker, and uh, and there was just no negotiation whatsoever, so it got it melted down in a very rapid and ugly manner. And, um, damn, I guess I had to tell the whole fucking story from my, my side of things. Maybe someday she'll be on the podcast to, (laughs) to, to ball break me back on that. Um, she never hesitated to break my balls. And for the most part, it was righteous and and welcomed and, and all good. And we grew stronger and better from all of our little, um, minor disagreements but ultimately it was like a power couple par excellence we had we were doing business together we were living together we were living together happily we were sharing space and uh yeah there was it was really tragic and sad that that happened but i guess this was the time for that story to come out and uh and i say that this is um i'm it's relevant to current events because if that was the peak of me being immersed in really teaching survival and preparedness, obviously I haven't stopped living that way since I left. I have always maintained ample food storage supplies. I've always maintained adequate 
water supplies and first aid kits and kept healthy and kept fit and stayed glued to the news and had evacuation routes and situated myself uh, opportunistically and advantageously relative to the zombies. You know, I mean, I've been in the 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 zombie preparedness game for quite a long time and just because that my career path kind of collapsed losing that space um i still did some permaculture workshops i still i mean i still sold sold some of the supplies and sold the kits but it kind of it really it stopped when i had this the major shamanic kind of um healing spiritual emergency that made me have to go deep into the deeper into the sexual shamanism than I ever thought I would have to go um but all that is to say it's been eight years since I was at that peak and I have done my solo survival and I haven't really been imposing it on people either like trying to get roommates to do the drills and fucking pulling teeth with all that bullshit it's not bullshit but the bullshit of trying to get somebody who doesn't give a fuck who just thinks you're paranoid and just like that is the every prepper knows what that feels like whether it's with their spouse or their family or their co-workers or <laughs> peers of whatever kind getting people on board it's it's painful uh for everybody and it takes those acute moments of oh there was an earthquake oh shit now who do we call like oh fuck ben we know that guy you know, now it's time to take them seriously. So, of course, I go through all that, and there's cycles, and people get freaked out, and they want to have me consult with them. And um, it's like, you're crazy. You're a crazy, paranoid prepper until the, for every fucking day of the year, until one fucking moment where the lights go out or there's a tremor, and then I am the savior. And, um, you know, whatever. It's just we have to all we adapt to that and we we deal with it and we're prepared for it. And honestly, honestly, in a sense, we are ambulance changers. Like, oh, ready? Oh, now you're ready. Okay, fucking, what do you have to put on the table? How much money do you have saved? And how much are you willing to put towards, you know, buffering this for the next time? Because it could be the big one next time.